0: Hello and welcome to the fifth Clinical Knowledge into Practice podcast in our series on obesity. I'm Carl LaRue, a metabolic medicine physician and professor at University College Dublin. And this week we're going to be discussing a hot topic in society as a whole right now, anti-obesity medications, and in particular with the focus on the efficacy and safety Now, before we do, I have some important information uh, regarding this podcast that is part of a series. And you'll remember this is accredited with 0.25 AMA Category 1 credits. And claiming these credits is straightforward enough. And you can do this by visiting the clinical.knowledgeintopractice.com website and just answering the pre- and post-activity questions. There's a link to the website in the episode notes. And if you're listening in a podcast app, so be aware that this podcast series is supported by an educational grant from Eli Lilly, but um, they had no influence on the content or the faculty selection. So now in previous podcasts in the series, we've really established the disease of obesity as one of the major healthcare challenges of our time in the US and some countries in Europe, obesity affects around a third of the population. We've seen that it is associated with an increased risk of various metabolic, cardiovascular and skeletal complications, as well as some cancers. So, But there's also significant impact on the individual's psychosocial health. So treating obesity is therefore a key priority. Now, obesity treatment guidelines may vary, um, but they do agree that the most appropriate approach for obesity treatment should be multidisciplinary and should include lifestyle modifications, behavior therapy, pharmacotherapy, and or bariatric surgery. So the pursuit of anti-obesity medications has been challenging. Um, The history of pharmacotherapy for obesity has included um, approval failures and some treatments causing adverse events. um, And that has really unsettled the field. So, however, the outcome from recent clinical trials with the newer and advanced therapeutic candidates have looked very promising and have now led to new approvals. So here with me to discuss the efficacy and safety of these new treatments and those in the pipeline is Dr. Sean Wharton. Now, Dr. Wharton is the medical director of the Wharton Medical Clinic, a community based internal medicine, weight management and diabetes clinic. He's also an adjunct professor at McMaster's University in Hamilton and York University in Toronto. So you can find links to both of our disclosures in the episode notes. And Dr. Wharton, thank you very much for joining us today. Absolutely, Corral. It's really nice to be here. So let's go back historically. Why do you think we thought that medications will only work in people who adhere to lifestyle changes? And how is that different today?
1: Right. So when we look at a lot of other chronic disease states, we we what we did was we developed a medication that would work regardless of the person's ability to adhere to the lifestyle state. So if you're taking aspirin to ensure aspirin to ensure that your coronary artery disease are your coronary arteries are actually free of the platelets that are sticking to the side, that aspirin is going to work regardless of what the person does. Will their heart disease be a little bit better if they exercise and eat better? Sure, it will. It's always better with the adjunctive life, uh, a adjunctive lifestyle change. So I think here, what we need to do is, is what we needed to do was understand that the disease process has always worked in a way where the pharmacotherapy has to have an independent aspect of decreasing weight without actually needing that adjunctive adjunctive therapy. And it's always better with the adjunctive therapy. So that was the goal. Um, and I think the reason why we always thought we it would only work with that is because of biases. Biases against people living with obesity or who struggle. You should just be better. You've got a constitutional problem. You've got a a willpower problem, a character problem. And if you are just had a better character, you wouldn't need the medications. Um, But uh, now we know about the disease process, about the inflammation, about the genetics. And I think that we have to let go of our biases and recognize that medications work with or without the adjunctive um, uh, um, um, treatment options and lifestyle interventions.
0: You know, and over the past few years, you've certainly contributed massively to some of these anti-obesity clinical trials and approvals that come through. But why do you think we have seen such a great improvement in efficacy? So compare that, you know, in the past, you and I, say 2018, we would have been delighted if we got 8% weight loss on average. But now, almost less than five years later, now we think that 25% weight loss should be our target. How is it that we have moved that fast, that
1: quickly? So I think this exponential move was similar to the way that we have moved in the internet world or the cell phone world. Things just happen so rapidly or the, or the artificial intelligence where the, the information has happened so quickly that we had to slow down to try to understand how do we actually, actually use it. Because once that ball starts rolling it and we understand the, the triggers behind it or the the pathophysiology behind it. We know which part of the brain, we know what we need to do to interact with that part of the brain. So we just keep on going and going. There's a lot of smart people in this world and they latched on to this idea and then they started all the labs from all over the world, started to make um, molecules that fit with, with this. If it was only one lab, it would have taken us quite a while. But no, there's labs in China and India and Denmark and America and the UK, and they're all working hard and they're going to come up with stuff, which is great, terrific, terrific news. And, and so I think that it took us a while to actually get there. But now that we are rolling, we're now responsible to try to make sure we use all this power in the most appropriate way that we possibly can.
0: And I agree with you. I really like that analogy because I also have to find myself in clinic sometimes just having to pause and think because, you know, this has gone so fast. You know, sometimes I'm really surprised with what I'm seeing and I'm reevaluating what I'm doing and I'm changing what I'm doing now that we have these treatments. Do you find yourself in a similar space?
1: Absolutely. So I absolutely find myself in that space, and it's been a welcome change because a lot of times now I get to talk about some of the things that I want to talk about. Because the patient is doing well and they are on track, or or maybe we're adjusting the dose back and forth, and maybe going down a little bit because some side effects, and going back up. But we also can talk about their cognitive behavioral therapy aspects and their vulnerabilities and their and their value, their value of self, and why we. I frequently they have to be reminded on and on. A, a regular basis, and also they also know that they are valued that they are worth all of this science and all of our effort and all of the the medical um uh, care that 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 uh, that we actually give them. That conversation's become easier because there's less frustration at not actually getting any weight change or any of the noise in their brain decrease. They've got some of that. and we can have now further discussions, which I really like.
0: So why are we not seeing more safety concerns? So we've seen this almost doubling, tripling of efficacy, but it hasn't been
1: accompanied
0: by a tripling of safety concerns. You know, that sort of it sounds almost too good to be true.
1: Yes, it does sound almost too 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 good to be true. It's been about eight years, maybe um going on to 10 with the GLP1 analogs, and we're all crossing our fingers that it's not to be true, really. And And I think that if if I'm going to go back to some of the other diseases that we've had, the hypertension medications in the 1930s and 40s, yes, the blood pressure was coming down, but there was a lot of side effects and there was problems. So we got the, the reserpenes of the world and those type of things. And then we got to a stage where we figured it out. So we now have multiple high blood pressure medications that work that don't have side effects. So hopefully we've got to the stage where we spent so much time having side effects with weight management medications that caused a problem that we're now in a zone where we're, we're going to get continued good medications with less side effects because we in general, I believe that every five, 10 years, we are smarter, we're smart, the world has become continually more, um, has more knowledge and this knowledge should go to good and good is less side effects and more efficacy to help people in an appropriate way.
0: So let me ask you to look into your crystal ball. So, you know, we at the moment have targets for treatments when we treat people with diabetes for the hemoglobin A1c or people with hypertension for their blood pressure or people with cardiovascular disease for their lipid levels. But looking into the future, what do you think should be our clinical targets for treating obesity? If we just bring it down to you know, weight or BMI. So I appreciate all the bigger things, you know, all the complications. I I, I get that. But, you know, if we have a surrogate marker, that's either a, a weight loss target or a weight attained target BMI. What do you think that should be? Or where should we start even thinking about that?
1: Right. And and I do think that that is a difficult question, a loaded question, an appropriate one, but a loaded one, loaded because we can have targets for weight when we're looking at the pediatric population, because we do have these growth curves and we do know that, you know, a child needs to grow and they grow in a specific way. Once we start to get to adulthood, we don't really know, we don't have a good idea of, of where everybody should be. I, I mean, people have the opinions of where they think they want um, their desirability to be in terms of, way of where they look and how they feel and how they feel in in their clothes and in that as they're moving their body, men and women, and we have a desirability in what what we think we would want our partner to look like or 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 have certain ways, and and these things these things are social um, uh, aspects. So therefore, I do think that trying to find a specific spot is going to be challenging. So an African American woman in the Southern United States, what is her goal. I mean, I think that they're sensationally beautiful and wonderful at, at BMIs that are possibly different than other people around the rest of the world. But what I do want as an internist is them not to have type two diabetes, them uh, for 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 pre-diabetes to be treated, for their liver not to be in a direction that things are going to go um going to go bad. But where should they be in terms of their goal? It is a complicated question um, uh, because there's other factors uh, that are connected to it. To, uh, with it, and I think on an individual basis, we're going to be talking to our patients about their value. Where do you? How do you value yourself? How do you see yourself? And let's talk about that. And let's talk about um, um, uh, those aspects as to as to where we want to actually actually land. Because we can land in different spots, but you may not want to land at a BMI of 18. You may not. You may want to land at a different PMI that makes you healthy, makes you look good, make you, makes you feel good in your body, and makes you value yourself properly.
0: I really like that approach, you know, Sean, thank you so much. you know. And this brings us to an end of this fifth episode in this Clinical Knowledge into Practice podcast series. Thank you very much to Dr. Sean Wharton for providing us with such interesting discussions on anti-obesity medication. Now, in this episode notes, you can find a link to the Clinical Knowledge into Practice website where you can claim your CME credits for this episode. And in our final episode of the series, we'll be looking at what's next in obesity management and what can we expect the future to hold. So thank you very much for listening.